Support for this podcast and the following message come from Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey. Jack Daniels is the oldest, mellowest, whiskiest whiskey, and every drop is made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Jack Daniels, turning nights into stories since 1866. Please drink responsibly. The coronavirus pandemic is changing everything really fast. So we have created a podcast where you can hear conversations and stories from NPR journalists who are covering the pandemic, the public health fight against it, and how the world is coping. I'm your host, Kelly McEvers. Listen and subscribe to Coronavirus Daily from NPR. It's All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. So here's something I'm thrilled about. Brothers Brian and Roger Eno have just released their first album ever. And truth be told, the timing couldn't be better because the album, Mixing Colors, is an ambient record. It's a tranquil record. It's a record of calm. Today on All Songs Considered, a conversation with, is it okay to say this, my musical hero, Brian Eno, and his younger, talented brother, Roger. But first, let's listen to a bit from Mixing Colors. It's a tune called Obsidian. Ambient music is a term coined by Brian Eno in the late 70s, and as Brian put it, it must be as ignorable as it is interesting. And right now, listening to this album feels like a gift. I've been listening to Brian Eno since the day the very first Roxy Music album came out in 1972. I first heard Roger Eno's music as part of a project he did with Brian called Apollo. That was 37 years ago. And though Roger went on to a successful series of albums on his own, and Brian released at least 10 albums and countless art projects since, they've not released new music together since. Until now. And I wondered why, and I was curious about how their approach to making music differed. I wondered about their upbringing, and what music was like growing up in England in the Eno household. Roger Eno surprised me with his answer. I remember fairground organ records one of which was called the mighty merengue and you know fairground like carousel organs you know what they are there were lots of like brass band dad liked brass band a a lot and mum was country and western and out of influences that lasted i suppose i'd have taken the brass band organ route and brian have taken the country and western Yes, so this is Brian speaking. Of course, when I was growing up, it was just the birth of rock and roll, and we had an older sister, four years older than me, who was very much into rock and roll. 
So there was that influence. Cause I started listening to rock and roll when I in about 1957, so I was about eight wow. at that time. And that was partly because my sister was listening to it, so we used to hear those. But we also were surrounded by mm. air bases in Suffolk mm. because it was the Cold War, and so we had four big air bases within a few miles of the small town that we grew up in. And they all there were lots of cafes with jukeboxes, so we heard a lot of stuff that you, that wasn't on the radio in England. It was American R and B, really, a lot of southern stuff. So that was a big influence. And the other mm. very big influence for me was that at some point our uncle Stan moved, and he said, while he was looking for a new place, could we look after his collection of albums? Wow which were all sort of big band jazz, like um, oh, nice. Paul Whiteman and yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah. The, the white big bands, mm -hmm. you know, not the black bands, but Paul Whiteman, Jack Teagarden yes, was another big yeah, one. Yeah. I remember a whole, it seemed like a whole winter of getting up every morning in the dark and putting on one of these mysterious big band albums. God, they're fantastic, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. You all are what, about a dozen years apart with Brian being the older, is that about right? That's right, yeah, there's 11 years um, temporal distance between us and about 70 physical <laughs> miles. <laughs> did, did you share a common bond? Because that's a, that's a distance of years, unlike the four years difference in the older sister. Did, were you still sharing music in ways? For you, Roger, was Brian someone you looked up to in, in that regard? Or By the time I was five, Brian had moved. Wow. He was an art student. I think he, if not, if he hadn't moved then, it was very soon to be to the time that he'd left. So actually, I, I can't remember, to tell you the truth, Brian, hardly at all, but I can't remember my younger sister either. I've got a very <laughs> bad memory for childhood. I can remember certain elements. But no, Brian hit it off when he was um, in his 20, I guess, what, 20s, and I was mid-teens. Mm. And he was in London, and I'd go and stay. He very kindly put me up, because, you know, I was just this spotty little spud from the sticks. <laughs> and he was like an international pop star. And I used to go and stay with him. We got on great. But for me, the point that we really got to know each other was when we worked on Apollo, which was some years afterwards this is the early 80s yes and i mean it was then that we realized that our senses of humor were intuitive uh what we were up to was actually very close you know close enough to work easily with and it was um so that's when for me that i really really realized what a thoroughly lovely bloke he was So Apollo was the first thing you worked on, but either it didn't go so well or you don't like each other or what, but it's, it's been almost 30 years since you've done something together. What sparked the beginning of this process to make this record? Well, we both have our separate careers and we, we weren't living close to each other for quite a long time, but we did stay in touch. We, 
we've been close friends for a long time, ever since that Apollo time, really. And it was about um, 15, 16, 17 years ago that Roger started sending me sort of almost scrapbook notes of things he was working on. And I said, could you send the MIDI files of those? Because I thought if, if I have the MIDI file, then I could do something with it as well. MIDI stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface. So electronic keyboards don't have mechanical elements except the keys. When you hit a key, what you're doing is activating a switch eff effectively. And that activates an electronic circuit. So what a MIDI keyboard does, it just notices where your fingers hit, how hard they hit, how long they stay, and when they stop, when they come off the key again. So once you know that, you can apply that to any electronic keyboard. So Roger could play something on something that sounded like an organ, and I could then take that, that same MIDI file, the file of what his fingers were doing, and make it play something that sounded like a celeste or like a trumpet or a bunch of kitchen equipment. So Brian Eno emailed me some MIDI files. Four short examples, all the same files to help illustrate this process. Brian wrote to say that this first one I'll play is the file that Roger sent him using a standard sample piano sound. Now the next file is the same file as above, but with Brian's choice of sound. This third file uses the same MIDI file again, but Brian has slowed down the file and added another layer using the left hand, the lower notes of Roger's original part. And now, this is the fourth and final example. The MIDI file is still slowed down, but now with a new, brighter sound added from the right hand. Roger, you make these MIDI files, you send it to Brian, then what happens? I don't only send it to them, I give it to him as a thing that he can do anything with. So I, I don't have any um, input from then on. So because I'm more than happy to allow whatever, often with, with, with most people, but in Brian, with Brian in particular, knowing his area of skills, is to give him what I've presented and then just leave him to do whatever he likes with it. And when he turns it backwards, he'll send me a, like a backward version. I think, F that is brilliant. I shouldn't say F 
So I'll say, damn, damn, god that's damn, god damn, that's. <laughs> I'm intrigued with what comes back. So no, there was no conversation because after I'd sent it to him, that's in Brian's land, and he does what he wants with it.
So you have an interesting different composition process going on here where two completely separate worlds are allowed to coexist. So Roger makes a piece of music and I make a sonic landscape mm -hmm. for that music. That's a basically what, what it comes to. And they're two you know, completely separate processes, but um, sympathetic, obviously. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Bob Boylan talking with Roger Eno and Brian Eno about their new album, Mixing Colors. And you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. This message comes from NPR sponsor State Farm, whose agents know that your car and home are more than just big purchases. They're a big part of your life. You put the time into making them your own. So now it's time to protect them with your own personal State Farm agent. Not only do they truly get you, but they'll be there for you when you need them. And with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one just around the corner. More at statefarm.com or 1-800-STATE-FARM. I'm Bob Boylan. I'm talking with Roger Eno and Brian Eno. They're in England. We're talking about their new album called Mixing Colors. I was talking to a friend last night about this project, and she said to me, she said, it's sort of like if my sister and I were to work on something, I couldn't send her my writing because she's so much of a better writer than me. I could send her an outline, and then she could make a story out of that outline. That would work. Do you, do you think there's something about the way your relationship is that helped determine the sort of process you wound up working in? I'd definitely say yes, because although we share musical areas our skills are completely different could you tell me roger in your case your strength you feel is what or or tell me what or, or brian you tell me what your brother's strength is however you want to work this mine is that i'm strictly a musician i don't think of myself or i find it very hard to think of myself as an artist it's not natural i think for me the term artist is someone that admires you gives to you mm -hmm. it's kind of like saint i think artists are so important they're like saints but i do know that i'm a very very good musician and I know that Brian is a very, very good artist. So that's where our thing is. I'll put the musical input and he puts his embellishment is too low a term. So for me, the pleasure of this working relationship is not having to think about the composition in the musical sense. To have compositions that I like and trust as a given and then to be able to spend all the time doing the thing that I really like doing, which is making these sort of sonic worlds, if you like. So there's two different things. There's a piece of music and there's a sonic world, and they're different ways of being a composer, really. Mm -hmm. One of them people recognise more readily because people have been doing it for longer, um, but the other one is another way of being a composer. You know, it's like being a... Um, you might say Roger is a a landscape painter and I'm an abstract expressionist or a colour painter or something like that. <laughs> yeah, nicely put.
such a beautiful way to work yeah it, it was. is great yeah great and for me actually after the first few had been done and we realized that we were onto something more if you like important than postcards because that's kind of how we were i was treating them mm. you you can then there's personal interest then invested in it which means that i can get more uh, freer even freer than normally you know that you, you don't have to put barely any notes in because brian can fill these with um color mm -hmm. so i'm doing then black and white sketches pen and ink sketches roger a quick question about when you were making these midi files the sounds you were using was it just a fairly straight piano sound or that's exactly what it yeah. was, yeah. And that was for two reasons. It's, it's a sound that I'm very acquainted with. Yeah. My technique, piano technique, relies hugely on the pedals, the sustain pedal. In acoustic instruments, that, that leaves strings running so you get harmonics and what have you between them. And if you transmit that to a, a MIDI patch, uh, not patch, sorry, the, the system, you can also emulate that or Brian can emulate that later because you get notes hanging on indefinitely which can be then triggered. And so Brian can you tell me a little about what sort of time frame you know is this a day-long process uh, you come back to it month after month or what kind of sounds are you using software hardware I'm curious about that geeky stuff. Well so generally I was doing these pieces in my computer during train journeys. Um, I, I travel by train quite a lot, and I really like the limitation of a train journey of saying, OK, I've got an hour and a half now. Let me see if I can get somewhere on this piece. So I would often save the MIDI files, not even listen to anything, until I was on a train, and then just start it as a kind of challenge to get through the journey and to, to try to make it by the end. And sometimes I would succeed so the piece my contribution might take as little as an hour and a half but sometimes I would keep coming back to it and sometimes I would splice together different versions I would just keep fiddling around with the piece until it started to sound like something I hadn't heard before and sometimes that meant on a couple of occasions it meant even changing the scale within which the piece was written so changing all the E's for F's or something like that mm, mm. Um, and that occasionally made for some very nice results there is one occasion on the album where I actually turned the whole MIDI file backwards so it's what Roger played but backwards <laughs> because the good thing about MIDI is since it's just data you can read it backwards what is it that you each want from music what do you want music to do to either to yourself or to the people you make it for? Um, well, answering for myself is what I think artists are doing really is making worlds of some kind, mm -hmm. and they're inviting you to inhabit that world for a little while and see what it feels like and what you think about it. And 
asking you whether there's anything about that world that is missing from yours that you could learn from. All those sorts of questions. Sometimes, like in literature, it's very clear that that's what's going on. If you read something like a Dickens novel, you are clearly inhabiting a world that you don't live in for a little while. Um, but I, th I think it's true of all arts that they, in a way, present you with alternatives mm. other places to be other places from which to look back at the place you're really in and so for that to work for me they have to be places I haven't been before when I get excited about something is when I think "Ooh, I've never quite had this feeling before so that's that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for sensations that are both strange and familiar that connect to me but I don't quite understand why they do and it's when I find one of those that I think I'm onto something. Adventures of sorts. And, and for you, uh, Roger? I'm quite different in that respect, that I'll continue a path for years investigating it under microscopes. So Brian hit it on the head that the invention of worlds is key to what I do, but generally it's one world and I try and look more and more closely at it. Roger Eno and Brian Eno. The new album is called Mixing Colors. It's out. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered. Mm -hmm.